So last time I preached on gaffer tape, duct tape, tape in our lives, the tape that holds things up that can actually sometimes restrict us. Um, sadly today I don't have any whizzy props like that. So calm your disappointment. We're going to take a little meander through Psalm 63. So I'm going to read first from the NIV version, but I'm also then going to read from the Passion Translation. Um, if you haven't discovered the Passion Translation yet, I highly encourage you to read it. It gives some really great depth and feeling to some of the verses that we know so well. So Psalm 63 from the NIV first. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied, as with the richest of foods, with singing my lips, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. I'm going to read the same psalm, but from the Passion Translation. O God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. I'm energized every time I enter your heavenly sanctuary to seek more of your power and drink in more of your glory. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily I will worship you passionately and with all my heart. My arms will wave to you like banners of praise. I will overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor, shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. With passion, I pursue and cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. Those who plot to destroy me shall descend into the darkness of hell. They will be consumed by their own evil and become nothing more than dust under our feet. These liars will be silenced forever. But with the anointing of a king, I will dance and rejoice along with all his lovers who trust in him. I hope you can hear the difference between what the NIV describes and the depth of what the Passion Translation describes. And as I talk through today, we're just going to take a wander, really. So I kind of had in my mind this was just like a, a church wandering through a nice, relaxed country field, perhaps, just together, just taking in God's Word, just to perhaps fairly simply, actually, just going through verse by verse and saying, what is God saying to you through these verses? What is God saying to me? And what is God saying to us as a church? This psalm was written whilst David was in the wilderness. 
And this wilderness was an area of Judah, and he was trying to escape Saul, who was trying to kill him. So he was completely separated from his people, his normal habits and routines. He couldn't meet with his, uh, uh, his own people, with the church. He was separated physically. Um, he, it was a barren land, right? He says there was no water. He talks about it being an arid wilderness where there is no water. And you think about bleak wastelands, not many trees, perhaps not much shelter. It gives you a bit of a context when you go on to read what he talks about. And you know, sometimes in our lives, we can come to places that feel like an arid, bleak wilderness. We come to places where we feel like perhaps we feel separated from God or from people. Perhaps we feel like when we look out, it all looks quite barren. There's not much growth. There's not many trees. Perhaps it doesn't feel like much of a future. Times of desolation or isolation. But the one thing we have to remember is that although David was in that physical place, the one thing he was not was separated from God. And that's the same for us. No matter what your situation or circumstance look like, if it looks arid, it looks dry, it looks barren, it looks like a wasteland, the difference between someone who's not a Christian and you is that God is always with you. doesn't matter what the horizon looks like. We are never alone, even when all around us looks quite desolate. It made me think about what we do and what I do in those times in my life when I've had times of, uh, of wilderness, of experiencing a time where it's quite hard to see growth, it's quite hard to see progress. Um, and I think there are a few things that we can do as, as humans. Uh, I think one thing we'd sometimes do is withdraw. We pull ourselves back. Maybe withdraw from other people. Perhaps it's easier to not describe you're really struggling than it is to come to church and to say to people, I'm really struggling. So I think sometimes we withdraw and we take a step back. And maybe we still come, but we perhaps take a step back from sharing. Everyone says, how are you this week? And you smile and you say, I'm fine. But actually, you're not fine. Actually, you're really struggling. Sometimes I think we withdraw from God. I withdraw from God. I take a step back. feels easier. Because actually, maybe I'm a bit cross that I'm in that position. Maybe I can't see how I've got to this place that seems desolate. And because maybe I can't see a future, I somehow blame him. Is that just me? Yeah. Does it make me, in times of wilderness, desire God more? Oh, I'd love to say yes. But I'm not sure it always does. Sometimes it definitely does. Sometimes in my life, it's definitely been in a position where the only thing I've got is God. And I'm so clear on that, that I'm so close to him because I know that I know that that's all I've got. It feels like all I've got. Um, but that's not always the case. And this is where David finds himself. So I think there's some lessons for us about what David does in these times that we can apply to our lives. So the first thing he does in verse one, number one, first verse, you, God, are my God. First thing he says, God, you are mine. God, you are God, number one. So he acknowledges God of heaven and earth. You are above and above everything else. But secondly, you are my God. There's two bits to that. You are God. So it's acknowledging his superiority, his kingdom, he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, says you are God, but you're also my God. And we can say that as Christians. 
You are the God that puts the stars in the sky, that keeps the planets spinning, that keeps the waves moving. But do you know what? You are my God. And I'm really encouraged that David starts with this because sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is to acknowledge him first and to acknowledge that he is your God. And in our wilderness experiences, do we always put God first, above and over everything, above what we can see, above our situation, above what people tell us? Actually, God, you are my God. Although he was in the wilderness, he was not forsaken. He knew that God was with him. The second part of verse one, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. And in various translations, the words of this sentence are just, you could do a whole preach on just this section, really. It's about a thirst. So there's that time where you're so dehydrated. Now, practically, there was no water in this land. So he was probably literally thirsty. And we probably don't come across that very much in our normal life because we've got so much access to water and drinks and things. But even then, there are times where, do you know that feeling where your mouth is so dry that you can't even formulate a sentence because the roof of my mouth is the thing that I can't even speak and your tongue feels like it's stuck in your mouth. Now we quite quickly will go and get a drink like Lainey brought for me. But that level of, I need a drink. Not just I would like a drink, I need a drink. It's a yearning, a craving. And there's one translation that says, his flesh fainted with longing for God. Is that what I feel like when I yearn for God? Is that what I feel like? And we talk about, you know, thirsting for something or yearning for something or, you know, I think often in today's world we think, oh, I really fancy X. I really would like an ice lolly, a biscuit with my cup of tea. We've got that kind of superficial, I really want, I really need to buy tea cakes this week. I really need some iron brew. I love iron brew. But do I really need iron brew? Well, I mean, I'm Scottish, so it does keep the, the engines going. But, but no, I don't really need iron brew. And it's not the same. And I think sometimes in our language, in our parlour day-to-day now, we make that kind of idea of needing something different. You don't need a biscuit with a cup of tea. It's nice. And we hopefully have got some at the end. Might even be some cakes. But that's not the same need as he's talking about here. This is a yearning, a craving, a deep-seated heart desire. I need you, God. I need you. Like I need to breathe or I need to walk. I need you. And many authors in in these verses draw similarities between the wilderness that David was experiencing here, so a dry and barren land, a place where there really seemed to be no hope, Um, to some of the places that we live now in this world, that we quite often live in a society where there are very dry and dusty places. There are places that seem to have no growth and God is not there. And we are in a society where God is quite absent, where God is quite minimized in a lot of places. You're not allowed to talk about your faith in certain places. You're in a certain position of authority. The expectation is that you are faithless. Uh, And we have to draw some parallels there about how we then go out into the world. 
Because it's not just our own personal life that could be a barren wasteland, but actually the places we step into. I don't know who else is in a position, but at work, I'm not allowed to talk about my faith to patients or relatives. If they were to ask me, I could share carefully and a very small amount. With colleagues, it's a bit more acceptable, but in the NHS, you're not allowed to share your faith with patients. It's seeing as being uh, inappropriate and putting pressure on people who are in a vulnerable position. Um, so our hospitals have become barren places. Of the, the, the place where you think people at their lowest in the greatest times of need are places where, unless initiated by the patients, you can't talk about faith of any kind, not just Christianity, but of, of Muslim or whatever faith the, the staff happen to be. It's bizarre. But we have to remember we're living in a time where there are barren lands. And we go out from here on a Sunday, and that's the life we're going into. We're going into these places. So what do we take of God with us? Do we take that yearning for him, that craving for him? And I think sometimes we struggle to relate to those descriptions. I struggle to, to relate to that when it comes to God, that deep-seated yearning. I can't stand here today and say, my flesh faints for God. That's, that's not my current experience. But oh, can you imagine being so desiring of God? to get to that point, to be so craving and yearning. I don't know if you've ever had things in your life that you're really longing for, uh, perhaps for a particular kind of food, which is quite a superficial example, perhaps for someone you love who's away for a holiday, perhaps it's for a hope or a dream, something in your life that you are yearning for, that you're praying for, that's deep in your heart, that every moment you are so focused on that. If that's what we long for in this life, how much more should we long and crave for God? Moving on to verse 2. What David does here is reflects his experience of God. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. He's remembering and giving God the glory for things God has already done. Let's not forget to praise God for what he's done, it gives us perspective. When we're in a time of wilderness or barrenness, what we need to remember to do, as David has here, is to reflect back and say, God, I remember your power. I remember your glory. In fact, Emily did that really nicely today. What she's talked about was, I remember when God did this thing for me when Joe was little. Let's not forget all the things God have done for us. Because sometimes when you're really stuck and you're struggling, the thing that you can't see is God's goodness. What you have to be able to see is reflecting what he's done already for you. Reflecting what he's done in your past. Keeping a note of it, remembering it, writing it down so you can go back to it. Do we stop and recall all that as God has done for us? Our existing knowledge of his power and glory. Do we keep perspective? Or do we tend to say, oh, this is terrible. I'm in a terrible time. And we almost forget what God's done before. I think we might be turning down the Prince of Egypt a little bit. <laughs> That's fine. I love the Prince of Egypt. Um, so moving on to verses 2 to 4. Thanks, Bob. Verses 2 to 4. This reflects David's time with God. 
It's a daily worship, not just a Sunday experience. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. Your love is better than life. I will praise you. And if I just move to the Passion Translation of this. Daily I will worship you passionately and with all my heart. Daily I will worship you. So even in the wilderness, he's declaring his love and praise for God every day. Not just on a Sunday, not just when you feel like it, not just when things are good, not just when you can see what God's doing, but even in the times where you're frustrated, where you can't see what he's doing, where he hasn't answered the prayer that we talked about earlier, daily I will worship you. This is about choice. This is about choosing to worship God every day, regardless of what situation we find ourselves in. And he declares all his love and praise for God. Not just a little bit, not just a little bit that you're happy to give, but inside you're grumbling because God hasn't done that thing that I prayed for. So I'll give you a little bit and that's all you're getting until you answer my prayer. Is that just me as well? There's a thing where we can step in and quite superficially raise our hands and worship, but deep in our heart we're grumbling we're grumbling, we're cross with God, we're frustrated he hasn't delivered on the, the hope we've got, on the dream we've got. That's not what this says. Daily I will worship you passionately and with all my heart. With all my heart. Do we do this in our wilderness times? Do we worship God with all our hearts? Do you know, I find it easier to have that moment of devoted, passionate, all my heart worship to God when he's done something I've prayed for. When I'm joyful, when I'm so satisfied at his hand on my life, of his word over my life, over something he's done, something often quite practical, a new job, uh, developing friendship, uh, uh, whatever it is, a holiday, it can be anything. Oh yeah, God, with all my heart, I'm going to worship you. I can do that and I get passionate. And you know, Dave does that jumping up and down thing. Yeah, in those times, I feel like I'm going to jump up and down because I'm excited. I don't do that every day. It's probably a good thing. I don't do that every day. I do it when God's given something to me that I wanted. That makes me feel like a really selfish little child. That actually, I'm only grateful, properly grateful, when he's done what I think he should do for me made me really reflect preparing this. Just think, oh God, I really am that slightly petulant, selfish child that is only truly grateful when I get what I want. That's not a relationship I want with you, God. I want to daily worship you and worship you passionately with all my heart, all the time, not just when you've given me what I wanted not just when I've seen your hand on my life, not just when I can see where you're taking me. But every day, I want to worship you. Verse 5 talks about overflowing with praise when I come before you. Your, the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. In this section, David notices and recognizes that God satisfies him like nothing else. Like no one else will ever satisfy him. Like nothing else will give the same depth of satisfaction. Does that sound like us when we're thirsty or hungry or in need? 
that we recognize God will satisfy everything. Verse 6 to 8 talks about lying awake each night thinking of you. In the NIV version, it talks about the night watch. In the tabernacle, there were a series of night watches. If anyone's done night shifts uh, or been in a position of night watches, you know, there's a series of shifts that go through the night around the tabernacle, within the tabernacle. And he was separated from that because he was in the wilderness. So there's something about this. It's about his normal habit. I'm so used to doing night watches that actually I'm reflecting on night watches. And I'm recognizing what I'm doing now is doing what I would do in the tabernacle, but doing it here because I'm in the wilderness. But I still will watch through the night. And that watch through the night, I will remember you. I will think of you through the watches of the night. I don't know about you, but when I go to bed, I don't know that I'm thinking about thinking of God. I'm usually thinking about what I've got to do the next morning. I've got stuff ready, what my meeting is, or what clinic I've got. What's my next thing tomorrow? Maybe I'm worrying about work, maybe that maybe you're worried about family, relationships, finances. I, I, I don't go to bed and in the night have a watch that thinks of God. What would be the impact in our lives if instead of going to bed thinking of that stuff, we went to bed thinking of God? David says, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. What would we be like as Christians in this world if we went to bed thinking and reflecting on all that God has done for us, all that he's got for us, all his promises, and we lie in bed at night and we say, yeah, God. Because at the moment I lie in bed and go, oh, I've got that meeting and I forgot to prepare that paper. I didn't print that off, so I'm going to have to go in early because I've got to get there before that. But then the meeting's the other side of the building, so I'm going to have to go in a bit earlier than that. That's what I'm thinking when I go to bed. The Passion Translation here comments on reflecting on his father's help, not forgetting his provision and his protection in times of difficulties. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. He remembers God's help. He lies awake at night remembering God's help. Let's again not forget God's provision. We have to remind ourselves of his prior faithfulness when we're in wilderness times. Verse 6 then talks also about shadow and the shadow of God's wings. And the shadow of his wings reflects a time of very divine tenderness. It's often used in the other, the other Psalms, but the only other place it's used in the same way is in Ruth, where she's taken shelter in God's wings, under the wings of the Almighty. And this is very akin to what happens with young fledgling birds, where in times of fear and insecurity, they hide under the parent's wings. And they're not necessarily snuggled right in underneath. They're in the shadow of it. So the parent's wings is over them, and they're just underneath the shadow. And it gives comfort, it gives safety, it gives warmth, it gives protection. David sings in the shelter of his wings, and he stands under the protection of the wing of God and says, I'm safe, I'm confident, I'm in the place that nothing can come against me because I'm under your protection. And if we're in wilderness times, 
there's no better place to stand. Stand confident, stand under his shadow, in his protection, under his wings. But he doesn't just stand, he sings. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow. He's not just standing there passively, he's standing singing of God's goodness. Again, in the wilderness, I'm not sure if I stand in security and sing of God's goodness. I sometimes stand and that's all I can do. Sometimes I stand and I feel like I can hardly stand. But you're under God's protection in that place. And the, the final section I want to spend most time on, really, uh, before we, we move on to the end, is verse 8, which I'm going to read particularly from the Passion Translation. Verse 8 says, With passion I pursue and cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. I'll read that again. With passion I pursue and cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. With passion I pursue you. What are you passionate about? What's the things that fill that passion for you in this, this life? Do you find times where you're passionate about something? Sometimes in, in the Western world, we think people are not particularly passionate about things. And then you go places like to a football match, and that's where you see the passion. You see people there, wow, they are passionate about it. They are passionate about their football team, about Fulham, about, I don't know, Crystal Palace. People are passionate at football matches. People are passionate about... They are sports that they love. Cricket, Formula One. I quite like boxing. That's probably a surprise to many people. I get passionate watching boxing. I love it. I know it shouldn't be because I'm a Christian and it's quite brutal. And also I'm a nurse. It deals with brain injuries. So it's, it's a little awkward. I love it. <laughs> I get really passionate about it. Ah, prayers are with me. Maybe you get passionate about your family. Maybe they're the most important thing. And the thing that's going to really catch your passion is when people talk about your family or you want to describe your family to other people. The challenge for me in preparing this was how does my passion for those things that I know I'm passionate about compare to my passion for God? How does my passion for those things that excite me in this world compare to that passion for God? With passion, I pursue you. The next bit of that is with passion, I cling to you. Clinging onto God like there is nothing else that's going to keep you safe. Grabbing hold. Clinging is that grabbing hold and never letting go. You see young kids do it, don't you? They jump up at mum and they fling their arms and legs around them and they cling on so tightly. I'm clinging onto you, God. Oh, I don't know if I live life like that. I'm near to you. I might be holding your hand, God. I might be walking with you. But am I clinging to you? Am I clinging to you like there is nothing else that's got me? Like there's nothing else that's going to keep me safe, that's going to give me my future? Am I clinging to you, God? And the next bit of that says, I keep my soul close to your heart. I keep my soul close to your heart. Do we keep our souls close to him? Even in times of wilderness, do we keep our souls close to God? Verses 9 and 10 talks about, uh, 9 to 11 actually, talks about the protection that comes as Christians that we have moved from death to life. We have, uh, because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we have victory 
over things from the enemy, things that would trip us up, things that would cause us to fall. And this is a particular example of people who want to kill him. And this is him trying to be, he's pursued by, by Saul. So he's very conscious that these people literally want to kill him. It's not a, you know, a spiritual, it's got spiritual undertones, but the actual thing is people want to kill him. And he says, I know that I've got the victory. I know you will make them flee from me. I know that you've got my life. And we need to sometimes stand in our times of wilderness to know that I will rejoice in God. I will. I will rejoice in God. And all who swear by him will glory in him. It's a statement of truth and of fact. What he sees around him is a barren wilderness with no water, no protection, no shelter. But what he's got is he's got God. And he says, I will rejoice in you. So, so far today, I've spoken a lot about times of wilderness in our lives and what we do, how we respond. Do we cling to God? Do we daily worship him? And that's true. And for some people today, there might be a time of wilderness in your life. You might feel in a time of uh, oppression or things are coming against you or you can't see the future. Maybe you feel like God's separated from you. So this is definitely a message for people who are in the wilderness. But, you know, God really challenged me to say this end part. What if in all of us, in every day of our life, we lived like David did? What if, not even in just wilderness times, but every day, we acknowledge him first? Every day, in all company, in all situations, we say, God, you are my God. We start off by saying, you are God and you are my God. Acknowledge him first. What if we desire him with that longing and yearning, that deep-seated desire and thirst, that deep-seated craving for him in everyday lives, in all areas of our lives, not just when we're reading the Bible, not just when we're here on a Sunday, not just when we're in times of ministry or giftings. What if every minute and every hour we long for him? in the way that David describes? What if we were energized by his presence in the way David describes? For everyday lives, if we are energized, refreshed by him, and we step into our day refreshed and energized by God, how would that change your home life, your work life, your circumstances? How would that change how you deal with problems that come your way? What if we daily worship him? What if we have daily communion with him Every day, close connection by prayer, by reading his word, by reflecting on his goodness. And what if we cling to him with passion? What if we daily cling to his words and his ways every day? Clinging, holding on like there is nothing else. Clinging so tightly. The only thing that matters, God, is that I'm going to cling to you today. And what if we faced every day knowing and believing and standing in the fact that we live in his salvation with victory over circumstances, with victory over difficulties. How would that change things that worry us or frighten us? How would that change our own confidence? Standing under the protection of the wings of Jesus saying, I know you've won the victory. What if we went out today into a week living and believing as David did in this psalm? What can God do in our lives? 
How would that change how we are as people? How would that change who you are as a wife, a mother, a husband, a son, a colleague? If you cling to him passionately, yearning for him every day. And Horizon, what would that do to our community? If we as God's people cling to him, cling to his word, are energized by him, are excited and passionate about him in our lives, how will that affect this area? These people that we see around us, the groups that we serve, our friends. What spiritual atmospheres could change if we live like that, not just in times of wilderness, but we take David's message and say, God, I want to live like that every day. I want to live like I need you more than anything else. I'm just going to pray as we close. Yeah, Father God, we want to live like David talks about. Those words of clinging passionately to you, of pursuing you with a longing and a craving. God, help us do more of that in our lives. Help us lay down the things that distract us and take us away from these times, which is about us and you. You, God, are my God. Lord, help us to put you first. Help us to need you like never before, as individuals and as Horizon Church. In Jesus' name, amen.